getting near the end of 1 John, and we've been, um, you know, spending a lot of time talking about a healthy church, what a healthy church is, and, and uh, just it's always good to review, and, you know, we talk about how a healthy church is a, is a church of a community of disciples, that if we're not in the process of being discipled and discipling others, we're really not part of a healthy church. Um, we may be members, we may come, we may do a lot of things at the church, but, but it affects the health of the church depending on are we actual disciples. And it shouldn't really be a kind of tug of war, it shouldn't be a hard thing to do because people who say, I am a Christian, are saying, I am a, I am a follower of Christ. And remember, there is a time when you can stop learning. There is a time when you can stop being a disciple. And that's when you are perfectly like Jesus. So, anybody? Perfectly like Jesus? Oh, good, good. Um, so, if that's the case, then, then we all are to be disciples. And again, some people think like, oh, discipleship, yeah, yeah, that's fine. You're just talking about learning in general, right? No, not. And as we've talked about before, discipleship is this, is this yes, we are learning, we're, we're gaining knowledge, but it's knowledge that we gain that meets the Holy Spirit in our lives and makes us more like Jesus. And while when I said, is anyone perfectly like Jesus, I had hoped not to see any hands, and I didn't, good. But if I ask this question, are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? I would hope to see lots of hands. I would hope to see lots of hands of people saying, I'm more like Jesus today than I was a year ago, than I was two years ago, three years ago. I would hope that that's the case. Because our health as a church, which again isn't just so we can be healthy so that everybody can look at us and go, look at that healthy church. No, our health as a church is so that we can do God's mission that he's placed us on here. But our health as a church is dependent upon your health as a believer in Christ. And that's, that's the question we always have to keep asking ourselves. I liked what Eric read this morning um, from, you know, Genesis. And you guys know the background of that story. That's, that's the story of Joseph. And if you remember, um, years earlier, his brothers hated him so much they wanted to kill him. But instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery, which was pretty much just as good as death anyways. And it, you know, didn't work out that way. His... his kind of hateful, jealous, resentful brothers pretty much stayed that way their whole lives. But Joseph, who was faithful, who was open to God working in his life, ascended. He came out of the slavery. He ascended to become, in a sense, the savior of Egypt and the savior of his own family. And it's so awesome to see those words because Joseph was now in power and Joseph had every right to punish his brothers. 
He had every right when they said, we're your servant, to say, you bet you are. You bet you are. But he doesn't do it. It's amazing that we, we see this, this. He doesn't give them what they deserve. Instead, he sees God at work. And he sees that there's something, that there's something about doing things God, God's way that builds, that helps us grow, that brings greater blessing. But when we do things according to the world, which Joseph could have done, remember, this is a day and age when, when kings and pharaohs would kill their own families because they were afraid that they would try to take the throne from them. And here's Joseph, second in command of this, this Egyptian empire. And he doesn't do that. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about something we've talked about before here. And yesterday at the marriage conference, uh, in a little different way, this was talked about yesterday, and you've heard me say this before, but it's like contrasting the two major ways that people operate in the world. And the, the, the Bible tells us that one way is the way of the world. And that's the way of power. And when you live according to power, the primary reason for relationships is power. You, you either want to be the strongest or you want to be friends with the strongest. And if you can't be friends with the strongest, you want to find, you know, at least someone else. There's this thing about protection and feeling, you know, like you're safe. And there's this drive for, for power. And it's because we're driven by, you know, this natural instinct to survive. And we, we mask this. We don't think about it enough in our world because, again, I'm pretty sure none of you have, have woken up in the last, you know, few years, maybe ever, and thought, you know... Today, somebody could try to murder me. God, please help that not to happen. We don't think about that. We don't think about, you know, that we're going to be driving along and a bomb's going to explode on our, on our roads. We don't think about that. We don't think about, you know, the need to, like, make sure that, you know, think about if you had to keep your job every day because if you didn't keep your job that you wouldn't have food for the next day. We don't think about that. And because we don't live like that, we, we think like, oh, we're not driven by power. I would beg to differ. We are. And, and the Bible says, no, there's, there's, there's another way. There's not just a better way. It's the best way. In fact, it's not just the best way. It's the only way. Because as long as you base your relationships on power, you know, as you've heard me say before about marriages, if your marriage is based on power, then eventually you are going to be a loser or you're going to be married to a loser. Because eventually 
that power struggle is going to end. Somebody is going to win. And if your goal in life was that your Prince Charming was a loser, hey, great, good for you. If your goal in life was to just be, you know, be a loser and have no say, no power, nothing, well, good for you. But it's not healthy. And, you know, I've known a lot of people who've been married. I've known people who've gotten divorced. I will tell you this. I'm not going to tell you I have statistics on this. I don't. It's just my observation. I have never, ever seen a marriage that's based on love, that love is the primary thing, fail. Ever. At the heart of every single marriage that I've seen fail is because the marriage was based on power. Winners and losers. Who gets control? Who gets to say? Who gets the last word? Who wins the argument? Gets their way. And so we can see it sometimes in marriage relationships. Yesterday, you know, the Gregory's I almost called them the Tadris. My wife, for some reason, took all their names and mixed it together, and she'd say, the Tadris, they're coming, right? And I'd be like, it's, Gre it's George and Tandra Gregory. <laughs> Who would name themselves Tadri? I'm not sure. Maybe there are Tadris in the world. But anyways, they were talking about how if you base your marriage on, on, a, on a contract or a covenant, it's, a, it's the same idea. The same idea. Is your marriage about power? Is it about winning and losing? Do you do things to try to get your way? Understand, that's not the way God intended us to live. He didn't intend us to live that way in society, and he didn't certainly intend for us to live that way in our marriages and in our families. And so even though this whole thing about power is somewhat masked in our society because most of us don't, don't struggle for survival every day, it's still there. And so here's John. He's talking to this church, and as we've talked about, he's helping, trying to help this church understand the difference between true and false teachings, and especially true and false teachers. And, and, and so he's... Summing up the argument, we've got like three more sermons in, in 1 John. He's summing up the argument, so some of it's going to sound repetitive because he is summarizing. But every time John summarizes, he adds something new. Every time. So in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, he says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, if you still live by that power construct, even if you're a Christian, when you read Overcomes the World, what you're thinking is, yeah, we win, we win, we're going to overcome. 
we're going to be in power. That's what you think. Hopefully by the end of this message you'll understand why that's not really what was talked about. That what it means to overcome the world is not simply, you know, we win. We're in a Christian society, in a Christian world. No. It's not really what it talks about at all. So the summary here is, if you believe Jesus is the Christ, you've been born of God. And then he says, what should be obvious? The children of God love each other. You've been born of God, as he said in a few verses earlier. If you're born of God, you love because you have that love that can only come from God. You're born of Him. And so you love each other. It, you know, in some sense, John may be saying, why do I have to point this out? It seems pretty obvious. Children of God love each other. And we show love for God when we obey His commandments. But He says His commandments are, are not burdensome and they're not new. And what are His commandments? His commandments are to, to love one another. And so when we look at the text, the first thing we see in the first couple of verses is, is He says, loving and obeying God, okay? Loving and obeying God confirms that we love our fellow Christians. So loving and obeying God. And again, obedience in our society, obedience in our culture, because if you think of things in a power-based way, obedience means inferiority. Obedience means you lost. That's not, it's not what John is saying. And so we don't like the word obedience. We, 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 we struggle with it, because if you still think in terms of power, hey, winners are in charge. Winners are the boss. But when we think about this, about God, and we think about God who's, if we, if we look at what the Bible tells us about God, God has all power. God knows all things. God loves us. If that's the case, what would you want that God to do? Would you want that God to not say anything? Would you want that God to just kind of get distracted? No, if, if you know, if you know, like God knows, you would expect God to tell us. In fact, you would say, if you really loved us, you would tell us. And it's true, you would. It's true. That's exactly what he did. And that's exactly what he did. He, he does his expression of love by telling us this is how you should live. So if you claim to be a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I get it. Okay, You, 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 you can kind of take a pause right now. But if you claim to be a Christian and, and you claim to love God and you believe God knows everything, He's perfectly good, He's perfect love, He loves you, and He has all power. If you believe that about God, 
What else would you do but obey him? It only makes sense. In fact, when you disobey God, what you are saying to God is either, God, you really don't know as much as you think you know, or you really don't love me, or you're not as good as you think you are. You're saying, I know better, and so I'm going to do different. The best way we can show love for the kind of God we say we believe in is to obey. And the best way the God we believe in can love us is to tell us how to live. It only seemed to make sense. And he's saying that when we do these things, when we love and obey God, he's telling us how to live. He's telling us how to live with each other. He's telling us how to love each other. And so we love our fellow Christians. And remember, John is not saying don't love anybody else. He's not saying just love the people in the church. But what he's saying is, if you can't get it right in the church, if you can't get love right with people who all have been born of God, who all have God's supernatural love in their lives, if you can't love there, what makes you think you're going to love out there? If you can't love people like that, what makes you think you're going to love people who hate you? Can't. And so he says, love and obey. And that helps us love our fellow Christians. As we talked about last week, love for God, love for each other. It's connected. It's always been connected in the Bible. They're not separate things. You cannot say, I love God more and really love God more if it doesn't result in you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ more. Cannot. You're loving something you call God, but you're not loving the God who is love. And then we get to this, this bottom part where it talks about faith overcoming the world. And what it says is true. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we overcome the world. Through faith in Jesus Christ, as he had said in the previous chapter, we're born of God. And when we're born of God, like begets like. We receive his nature. And we can love as only God loves. Like I said, that sounds overcoming the world. That sounds like God is just jumping into the game. He's just jumping in and and he's going to overcome the world because he's going to be more powerful. Well, the way faith overcomes the world, the way our faith overcomes the world is that, is that through faith, God empowers us to love our enemies. Through faith, God empowers us to love strangers. He empowers us to love people who are different from us. Through faith, 
God does that. In other words, through faith, the first way God overcomes the world is He overcomes the world in you. He overcomes that world values, those world systems that we're all born with. The one that wants revenge. The one that when you're wronged and whoever wrongs you, you want to make sure they get theirs. The one that when you're threatened and you feel like, you know, there's an enemy that you want to get rid of them. The one that's just driven to, to, to survive at all cost. That power. That world is overcome by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ that changes us because now we live according to His, his love. It's different. And people don't like this. I don't like it sometimes. I get, you know, give in to, at least in my mind, I don't do it with my actions as much. But in my mind, I'm not going to lie to you that sometimes I want to see my enemies go down hard. Sometimes. And I'm going to be happy about it. But if my faith overcomes the world in me, that's not how it is. I love my enemies. I pray for those who persecute me. I want God to bless them. And given the opportunity, I want God to bless them through me. I'm going to tell you, I'm not good at that. I know I've done it a few times in my life. And I'm going to tell you, it's for me Whenever it's happened in my life, it's the evidence of two things. One, God is real. Because I know that what's inside of me, it's not conscience. Conscience doesn't tell you love your enemies. It's not conscience. But there's something that I know is there. It's the presence of God telling me, love your enemies. Bless them. Not just when they're down but even when they are powerful. But it also confirms that that world nature, it still fights back. It's still there. So I'm kind of warning you that as a Christian and as Christ having changed my life, if you ever were my enemy, I am going to do everything I can to love you. But I'm also warning you, there's still a little Eva Beach in me. <laughs> there's still a little bit of the world that's there. And just, we all know this. But what I want you to think about is, do you even have that love in your life that would, that would push you to love your enemies. 
that would overcome the world in your heart? Or does your heart keep winning? Is it always about you winning? Is it always about you defeating your enemies? Or is there a battle in there? Do we still live by the world's ways of survival and power and selfishness? And, and, and even when we extend it a little bit to kind of this clannish way of living, you know, we, we, we group ourselves into smaller groups. And, and, and we say, yeah, 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 I care about others. But what we mean is, I care about others in my group. It's not what, it's not what John's talking about. He doesn't just say, I love the brothers and sisters who are like you. He doesn't just say, love the brothers and sisters you know, who are influential. He doesn't just say, love the brothers and sisters who you can control. He says, love them all. And so faith overcomes the world that's inside of us as we live more and more according to God's love, as God's Spirit helps us become more like Him, we, we, we live according to His way and not the world's way. And we see this on the cross. It's, it's really the victory of the cross. Think about the cross. Think about what happens. Jesus Christ, He is the Son of God. He has all power What does he do? Silent as the lamb before slaughter. Oh, he says some things. He says some things, but he doesn't say things out of anger, and he doesn't say things out of hate. In fact, he says, forgive them. He asks God to forgive the ones who are killing him, the ones who are mocking him, and it's not a sign of weakness as, as John in the Gospel of John will say again and again and again. He'll, he'll, have, he'll quote Jesus saying, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. We read in the Gospel of Mark where it says, it says Jesus at any moment could have called for a legion of angels to destroy the world. And he would have been perfectly justified in doing it. Think about that. You know, when I was younger and I used to run a lot, I had an unhealthy idea about running where I thought you should never stop, you should never slow down, you should only run hard. In fact, I felt that if, if you ever did stop, that it would, it would be like, it would be bad because then you would think you can always stop. But when you have this sense that I cannot, I have to keep going, ah, it's, you, you keep pushing. It was a bad idea because your body wasn't meant to do those kind of things. And my body let me know. Told me after about six or seven months, you've got to stop doing this. It didn't say it that nicely. Instead, it made that hamstring muscle go, or it made those ankles start to hurt in ways they had never hurt before. 
But I felt like if I ever told myself I could, I could back off, that I would just back off. Can you imagine Jesus, every time he's being whipped, he just has to say one word and it stops? Every time he's being mocked, he just has to say one word and it stops? Every time he sees and hears hatred, every time he's struck, every time he's spit upon, he could stop it at any moment. See, once we think like we can stop things at any moment, we will usually stop short of our, of our goals. We will think this is all I can take. Part of when I coach and help my runners is to help them not be like crazy me who didn't think I could slow down, but to also realize that just because you can stop doesn't mean you should. But think about if you could. Think about if you had something that whatever you're going through, no matter how hard life is, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job, whether it's health problems, if you could press a button and make the suffering stop, how we would do that so easily. But not Jesus. And why? Why does he, does he do this? Why doesn't he make it stop? Because if Jesus had used power the way we understand power, if Jesus had used power to defeat the world, then he would have forever said, this is the way you do things. It is about power. It is about who's the strongest. I'm God and you're not beating me. He would have forever told the world, you are right. The Father who's love, he's wrong. You are right. It's about, okay, let's battle it out, and the winner walks away with the prizes. He would have forever said that was okay. That that was the way we should live. But instead he dies. And as Paul writes later on, it's a demonstration of God's love. Jesus shows us another way. And see, some people, some, some people like, they, they like this. They, they kind of get it. They, they go, oh yeah, love, love, love. Love's, love's another way. That's God's way. That's good. And then everything will work out, right? We're, we're all going to be happy in the end. He died. He was beaten. He was mocked. It took way more strength, way more toughness to express love than it would have been for him to snap his fingers and cause everything to cease to exist. The way of love is not easy. It's not the wimpy way out. It's not the way of, of just being, oh, you know, that's what pacifists do because they're too weak to fight. No. It's not what it is. It's tough. He didn't give in to the way of the world. 
He did not say, we will conquer the world because we're stronger and we're more powerful. He says, we will overcome the world with love. He wasn't seeking the demolition of the world. He was looking for the overthrow of the way the world operates according to power. And he would do that by empowering us to love as God loves. You see, the way we overcome the world, yes, the first thing is overcoming the world inside of us. But the other way is overcoming the world by showing the world there's another way. By showing the world in how we treat one another, there's another way. By showing the world in our marriages, it's not about winners and losers. In our families, it's not about winners or losers. It's about displaying God's love that's foundational to all we do. It's not about getting my way or someone else getting their way. It's about displaying God's love. And when we do that, if every Christian today, every true believer today, could do that, if every church could do that, we would instantly overcome the world. The world would instantly be overcome because people would go, that's, that's the future. That's our hope. That's what God is talking about. That's better Instead of going to bed at night, you know, afraid. Because this, in a world that's based on power, somebody may want to break into your house. Somebody may want to take your stuff. Somebody might want to hurt you. You live in a world that's based on God's love? It's not that way. But it's hard because we as the church, we haven't even realized that's what we've been called to do. We haven't realized that it's been more than just about getting on God's spaceship so we can you know, be saved from all the problems of the world. And by the way, that was actually a picture I heard a pastor say once. I was too young to really realize how crazy it was or to throw things at him, but he said it. Because that was the idea a lot of people have of Christianity. Christianity is about getting your ticket on God's you know, spaceship so you can go to heaven. No, they didn't say spaceship. Well, one guy did. But, but you get the idea that people didn't even know why God has a church other than to collect more people to, to go. And I remember one of my friends, he, he asked this question and he was, you know, he was a new believer and everything and it was a serious question and we were in high school and he said, he said, why does God leave us here? Why not when we become Christians, he just doesn't take us to be with him forever. Why does he leave us here? And you know, at least he had the honesty to ask the question. And the reason he leaves us here, in case you're missing it, is to be a healthy church. 
to be a healthy church that is a display of God's love. And when that happens, we overcome the world. We don't overcome the world by overpowering the world. We let God's love go through us. And every time we get our feelings hurt, every time we don't get our way, every time we're jealous of someone, every time we don't reconcile problems, we are distorting that. And instead of our faith overcoming the world, what's happening is the world is overcoming our faith. We're letting the world's ways infiltrate our church infiltrate our relationships. And we can't be a witness. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Oh man, John says it so many times. You're not sinless, you're not sinless, you're not sinless, you're not sinless. If you think you're sinless, you are calling God a liar. You are not sinless. It is not about perfection. It is about a journey. You know, one of the analogies that goes well with our kind of sometimes health-obsessed culture is that people want to be healthier, but they think health is a destination. Health isn't a destination. You don't go somewhere and get healthy, and then that's it. Health is a journey. It's a lifelong journey. It's decisions you make every day. Healthy church is the same thing. Healthy church, it's a journey. It's a journey we're supposed to take together. It's a journey that, that we, are, as, as people who are disciples, are trying to learn more and more about God's Word. We're trying, to, we're trying to find out how more and more God's Spirit will help us conform to the image of His Son. And we're living that out in community. I wish I could tell you, like, here's, here's six steps to that, or here's five programs. If you do these programs, it'll all work out. I wish I could tell you that, but I can't. Because I don't think it works that way. I think it works this way. I think it works each one of you hearing my voice and understanding and are really believers in Christ are, are saying, okay, wherever I am, Wherever I am in my spiritual journey, I am now going to keep pressing on. But I'm also going to do it by asking the question, how do I now love my brothers and sisters in Christ better? As I'm learning, as I'm growing, how do I reach out? And I can't tell you what that is. I can't tell you every single way. I can give us ideas. I can do things and have events and other things that help promote it. But the event isn't going to create it. It's something God is going to do in your life. God is going to do in my life. And God is going to do among us. And the big question is, do we want to take that journey? So your faith that overcomes the world, the world, the world's power that's in us, 
and the world's power that's out there. The faith overcomes it by replacing it. It's not about struggles and power and self. It's about God and his love. 